Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, welcome back to another Baseball America podcast. This is your host, Jeff Ponce. I'm here with Kyle Glazer. This is our World Series wrap-up podcast. Of course, the Houston Astros defeated the Philadelphia Phillies in six games in the World Series. Uh, An exciting World Series. I think there were some momentum swings for sure. But you were there yourself to witness a good chunk of it. So we're going to kick it over to you, Kyle. And let's talk a little bit about, I, I think, sort of your big takeaways you know, from the last few games in the series uh, and how things wrapped up. Yeah, I mean, this was my uh, sixth World Series I've covered for us at Baseball America, and it was certainly uh, a lot of fun to cover it. Um, you know, just the Phillies with this incredible run they had, the Cinderella run, and, and the Astros really just being kind of this well-oiled machine. I mean, we've talked about it. They won 106 games during the regular season. They went 11-2 and in the postseason. Really just a, a remarkably dominant run overall, especially when you consider – how much the other top teams struggled with the layoff uh, getting the buy in the first round. Uh, we saw again, the Dodgers and Braves both lose in the division series. The Yankees needed five games to take down a, a guardians team. That was certainly pretty flawed. Whereas the Astros just made it look easy pretty much all the way through up until the world series. You know, it was interesting being on the field, talking post game to Jim Crane, the owner talking to Lance McCullers, talking to Alex Bregman, a lot of the people who were around in 2017 and, how they viewed this World Series in that context, and also some of the new players who weren't around. I mean, keep in mind, 21 of the 26 players on this roster were not part of the 2017 World Series team. It's a very, very different team, very, very different roster. But talk to them about, you know, they still were on the receiving end of a lot of the jeers, a lot of the hatred, the vitriol and opposing parks, and they felt the effects of it. I think with this World Series, and we've talked about it a little bit, but and I wrote about this extensively in my uh, story. It's up online at baseballamerica.com, uh, our you know, World Series finale story. This Astros run has been historically good from 2017 through 2022. Six straight ALCSs. No team has done that since the A's of the 1970s. Braves did in the NL in the 90s, but I mean, this is something that we haven't seen. No team has represented their league in the World Series as often as the Astros have since the dynastic Yankees teams in the late 90s. I mean, this is this has been a historically good run, but the caveat was the only time they won a championship, they were cheating. Just straight up, factually, they were. Now that they have this World Series, and again, it's a very different team. There's you know different front office, different manager, largely different roster. It, it's really not quite an apples to apples comparison, but in the context of this Astros run and how good this organization has been, you know, this does give the organization a, okay, they want one clean now. There's no longer the caveat, the but of, yeah, I mean, they're great, but they cheated to win the World Series. Well, which again is true. And winning this doesn't change that, but it does add an element to this run of, okay, we've known how talented these teams are. And that was part of what was so 
sad about the fact they they cheated. There were a lot of aspects of it, but like those teams were crazy good. They didn't need to do that. And now that they have one clean, and I think that does alter the legacy of of this run as a whole, just in how we can, you know, assess this group, this this six-year run. Again, it does, there's no redemption for 2017. It's not, oh, everything's good now, but it does, it does shift it just like, hey, okay, yeah, they cheated and won one. They have one clean now too. And it just is a testament to the talent they've built up and their ability to to do this. Yeah. And I think, you know, the other part of this conversation that is interesting for me with the Astros, which, you know, could compare to um, the Braves, as you said, of the 90s. And I think there are some, you know, some comparables there is the fact that sustainability wise, they can maintain this team for at least a handful or close to a handful more years and sort of roll it back again. Um, the big question there is is obviously Justin Verlander, but overall the position group, uh, as well as the pitching staff, which we've talked about it ad nauseum at this point throughout the playoffs, all these guys could come back next year. There's not really going to be much of a drop-off, um, and we'll see how things shake out in the front office. They've had more of an ability to acquire players in the draft and uh, via international free agency than they had in a few previous seasons, of course, due to the fallout of, um, you know, the cheating scandal of 2017. So, you know, I think they're in a really good space going forward as well. And, you know, when we talk about these great programs of uh, sustained winning in the major leagues, I, I think we need to talk about the Astros a little bit and they've spent enough to maintain it too, um, just from you know the major league payroll level and that, that sort of thing. They haven't gone overboard, but, you know, it's not as if they have, uh, you know, a Tampa Bay raised sort of payroll. Um, so sort of yeah. put it in perspective. So I think yeah. they're, you know, from the on-field product, they're a healthy organization. How things shake out in the front office is a different question. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's one of those things that that has been talked about. But if you really take a step back, it is remarkable. You know, this is a team that lost in consecutive years, Garrett Cole, George Springer, and Carlos Correa in free agency. Didn't miss a beat. Um, I wrote about this. I went back and did the research. 14 of the 26 players on the Astros World Series roster were homegrown. And that doesn't include Jordan Alvarez, who was officially signed by the Dodgers, but never played in a, a game in an organization other than the Astros organization. That is the most homegrown roster of any champion since at least 2000. I want to go back and dig back and farther and see when the last time there was a champion uh, on a percentage basis that was this homegrown. But the Astros are the most homegrown champion this century. And it's been interesting looking at it. And again, I wrote about this uh, in a couple places for us. It's not like they've just nailed one area. They've done it all right. They hit at the top of the draft. You look at Bregman, you look at McCullers, you look at Kyle Tucker. Those guys are all top picked stud types. And of course, it goes back to Correa and then even Springer, you know, top of the first round type of picks. You then go into the day two picks. You know, Jeremy Pena was a third rounder. And then you go into the later rounds, some of which don't even exist anymore. David Hensley and Chaz McCormick, two starters in the clincher were drafted rounds that don't exist anymore. A senior signed, signed for a thousand bucks after the 20th round. And then I've written extensively about internationally what they've done, signing Framer Valdez and Christian Javier and Jose Urquidy and Luis Garcia all for a hundred grand or less. Brian Abreu goes in there too. He signed for, I believe it was 40K. They've really just done a great job in all facets 
It's been the draft, early rounds of the draft, late rounds of the draft, international market, trading for big league studs like a Verlander, trading for guys in the minors like Jordan Alvarez. Organizationally, they've really done everything, and, and that's how you build a power. It's never one thing. You have to be good at everything, and that's a lot easier said than done. And, and they did that. And I think one of the things that is interesting, and, and I appreciate it, you mentioned the front office. You know, I interviewed James Click after the final out. You know, he's in the clubhouse, you know, Dallas and Champagne, but he took a minute and, and we spoke. And it's important to recognize the humility. He talked about it as look, I recognize when I came in here how talented this organization was. There were some things that needed to be cleaned up culture wise, there were some things that absolutely needed to be done. He went out, he hired a bunch more scouts to help at the ground level, but he recognized the talent on the major league roster and it wasn't an ego situation where he came in and tried to put a stamp on it. He recognized the talent that was there, made some good moves around the margins, bringing guys like Rafael Montero, Hector Neris, Christian Vasquez to help and let a really good team go out and win games as they had been. And that's important. Not a lot of executives, unfortunately, are, are humble enough to do that. They go in and try and put their stamp on everything. So you give credit to the previous regime for the player development system they, they put in place. You give credit to the new regime to, you know, letting what was working continue to work and making the small changes really needed to be made. And then you add in Dusty Baker, a great manager who's, you know, as good of a, a leader as you'll find. And everything came together. Um, this was a really good team, a really homegrown team that has stars, that has complimentary players. And, you know, again, I think you can look at this group and, while acknowledging what the Astros did as an organization and all the issues that were very, very present under uh, Jeff Lunau's regime, you know, you can also appreciate the accomplishments of the scouts, the accomplishments of the player development group, and the accomplishments of the players. These are very, very talented. As we mentioned, 21 of the 26 were not on the 2017 team. This is a, almost entirely a new group. And they went out and put together a historically good season. And I think you can appreciate that and, and give them credit for that. Yeah. And you mentioned Dusty Baker here. I wanted to dive into that a little bit here because, you know, someone that's had a long storied baseball life, um, but also a managerial career where he's been so close um, quite a few times and, you know, had multiple, this is probably what the third team now where, you know, there were, there were true championship aspirations. So for, for him to finally get over the hump, so to speak, you know, as a manager, um, I thought that was, you know, fun to see. And, you know, in, in exuberance after I was excited about Jeremy Pena as a <laughs> Northeast guy winning the MVP, but certainly, um, you know, to also see Dusty um, finally get, you know, the World Series as a manager. Yeah, I mean, Dusty Baker, it's kind of remarkable if you just sit back and look at it. I mean, he debuted in the major leagues in 1968. I mean, this is someone who has been in Major League Baseball in some form or fashion as a player, a coach, just, you know, one of the game's biggest presences for 54 years. I mean, this was an all-star player, won the World Series as a player, was a really, really well-respected hitting coach for the Giants, became their manager. He's just had such an illustrious life in baseball. And everywhere he's been, he's been successful. Small markets, large markets, veteran teams, young teams. I mean, truly is one of the more unique people around just in terms of the life he's lived. You know, he smoked a blunt with Jimi Hendrix. He invented the high five. He's been an incredible manager. He's an all-star player. He's really fun to talk to just because he has such a wide array of interests. He'll quote the Bible. He'll quote Albert Camus equally. I mean, was U.S. Marine in the reserves. I mean... We talk about a life well lived. Dusty Baker checks every box. And 
you know, there's a lot of love for him around the game, a lot of respect from around the game. And you're right. It was, it was cool to see. I thought the video that came out afterward of the coaches, you know, after the final out, all kind of surrounding him, that was pretty special. And he looked just so happy, you know, light as air. He's 73 years old. He could have been a 20 year old kid. He was, it was really cool to see just him finally get that because you're right. And he's talking about game six in particular has been a, a bit of a bad luck area for him. You know, you go back to the 2002 world series, the giants are up five, nothing. And they blow it, and then the Angels come back and win Game 7, 2003, you know, NLCS. Game 6 was the Bartman game, and everything, you know, fell apart there. And Marlins come back and win that, and then win Game 7 of the NLCS. And then last year's World Series, the Braves went in and won in Game 6 in Houston to clinch it. I mean, Game 6 has been kind of Dusty Baker's bugaboo, and uh, he got over that hump and got his World Series ring. And, and really, I think the other cool thing is, in effect, guarantees his spot in the hall of fame i mean that was kind of the one thing where you looked at where he was the all-time manager of the wins list what he'd done as a player you put the two together you're like yeah this is a hall of fame career but you know it's hard he's probably not quite there as a player and not quite there as a manager independently do you put them together how do you assess that but now that he's got this world series ring he's in there on its own merits as a manager and you don't have to question anymore which is great because he deserves it he's you know we've talked about it i mean from 1968 to 2022, it's been one of the richest baseball lives. I mean, almost of all time. People talk about Connie Mack, you know, managing for 50 some odd years. I mean, Dusty Baker's been involved in the game for more than a you know half a century and a big presence in it. And, and he deserves yeah. this. And there's a lot of love for him. Seven, seven different decades, parts of seven decades in the game. It's uh, I mean, the years sort of fall correctly with it being 1968 and 2022 but still uh that's that's really remarkable just to be able to say that you know you span that great a period of time so the next question i wanted to ask flatly to you is you know are the astros a dynasty um is that sort of how we're going to view this this organization you've talked about you know the six consecutive um american league championship series now two world series one that i think is as you said uncontested um, so I, I would personally consider them a dynasty, um, just like the Braves were. Um, and I think when you look going forward, like I mentioned before, it's kind of remarkable that they could keep this run going for three, four more years. And I think that's sort of the sign of a, of a true dynasty. You know, it was interesting. I thought it was kind of, it, it was just interesting to see how this debate kind of came out you know, within minutes after the final out. So this is just me personally. I have always defined a dynasty as a minimum three championships. And that, that's not about the Astros. That's not something I just came up with now. Like we've had this discussion in person over Slack. Other people have different views of it and that's fine. For me personally, three championships is where it starts becoming a dynasty. To me, the late 90s Yankees are a dynasty. The 2000, 2002 Lakers were a dynasty. The Celtics of the 80s, the Lakers of the 80s, the Islanders of the 70s. You know, the, those to me are dynasties. Um, doesn't have to be you, admit, you, just, you just missed the greatest dynasty of all time in North American professional sports. Well, the second greatest, maybe the third, if you consider the, the Montreal Canadiens. But the, the Patriots, the Patriots are the most recent dynasty, clearly. 
spoke. But this is how it started. Yeah, no, I think but and like I thought, I thought after the third, there were people that said even after the third Super Bowl they weren't a dynasty, which I thought was insane. Absolutely, when they want, yes, those first three, when they want three and four years there to begin, Patriots, absolutely, that's a dynasty. The Golden State Warriors recently, that's a dynasty. I mean, yes, absolutely. to, To to me, three is where the number starts. So because of that, I I do not consider the Astros a dynasty, but if they are able to come back, as we've talked about, a lot of homegrown talent on this roster, a lot of it very affordable right now. If the Astros come back and win another or add another one, you know, some point later, I think we can talk about it again. The 2017 title being tainted as it is complicates it a little bit, but for me, the number is three. That's where a dynasty starts. So for me, I would not count them as a dynasty, but you can still appreciate how good they've been, how consistently good they've been, especially in light of the players they've lost and just all the turmoil and turnover that organization has had. I think you can appreciate what they've accomplished, even if you don't necessarily consider them a dynasty like I don't. And again, that's not an Astros thing. That's just a me thing. To me, three is where it starts. Yeah, and I think that there's a level of this where, for me with the Astros, is it's not like they just had championship caliber years, the two years that they want. You know, there were multiple World Series championships, a couple things shake out a little bit differently, and they could have had three or what you, you know what I mean? And I think it's the same thing with the Braves. They so consistently were so good for like a decade that you look back and I maybe remember those teams better than I would remember other teams that might have had multiple championships. Um, it's even like the Buffalo Bills, which is another debate entirely. They never had a championship, but like four consecutive Super Bowls. And just if things break a little bit differently, you know, the ball goes through the goalposts against Stop the Giants. That makes that kick, like things, yeah. things, things can be viewed differently. I just think having that level of sustained success to a degree can kind of be sort of within that dynastic. It has that dynastic quality to it. Whether the end result ends up with, you know, one, two, three championships. And again, this is where it's 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 subjective definition in a lot of ways. If someone wanted to call the Astros a dynasty, I would not agree with it, but it's not something I'm gonna bang the table and say you're crazy. Cause again, there there's ways that you can argue it, like you have that again, sustained success, you know, consistently getting to championships, being the dominant force in your league for a period of, of four, five, six years is is a remarkable accomplishment and i think you can appreciate that even if you don't use the word dynasty so I, I do think there's a little bit of absolutism here where people say you're either a dynasty but if you're not you can't fully be appreciated which i don't think is true at all i will say that you can appreciate that this has been really the most dominant team in some ways since the late 90s early 2000s yankees um, you know as good as the dodgers have been you know, they, they have fallen short. And again, this is where the 2017 title and how that played out sort of alters it and, and makes it really, really tough to fully assess everything. Uh, but making four World Series in six years, and it's funny you mentioned, you know, things breaking a different way. That was interesting how many times it got brought up. James Click brought it up. Joe Spada brought it up. That There's a lot of belief that the 2019 Astros might have actually been the best team of all these teams. You know, the 17 team, uh, this year's World Series championship team. I mean, the 2019 team, when you go back and look at it, was absolutely stacked. I mean, that was, you have Garrett Cole in the rotation. That team won 107 games. You have guys like Yuli Gurriel was still in his prime. That was Alex Bregman's best season. And Michael Brantley was healthy and doing his thing. Jordan came up midseason. I mean, that was, 
that was a ridiculously good team. They brought in Zach Cranky midseason. I mean, that was that might have been the best Astros team of all, and, and they didn't win because that Nationals team was something else. And uh, Howie Kendrick had that big home run in Game Seven. I mean, that that turned it. Yeah, and I think uh, you know when you look back on this team, it's going to certainly be considered you know one of the the great uh, runs by any organization you know, over the last, whatever, 25 to 40 years. Let's talk a little bit about the series uh, in particular. In the opening, I had mentioned some big momentum swings. One of the things that swung the momentum in the favor of the Astros, surprise, surprise, was their pitching. You were there. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, what went down and, uh, you know, who the big players were. Yeah, I mean, you want to look at where this series turned. It was when the Astros staff really just stepped up, which we talked about. This was the best pitching staff, the deepest pitching staff in, in baseball this year, top to bottom, the rotation, the bullpen. You know, after the Phillies hit five home runs in game three and went up in the series two games to one, I, I mentioned on the podcast with JJ that, okay, you know, it's time for the Astros pitching staff to, to step up. That's what they need to have happen here. I mean, you look, you're down two games to one, you blow a five nothing lead, you give up five homers and, and lose seven nothing. I mean, you know, the Astros staff as a whole need to step up, and that's what they did. The final three games, the Astros allowed three runs through the second no hitter in World Series history. I mean, just complete and utter shutdown those final three games, and that's what turned the series. The Astros offense, you know, they came back, they won five nothing in game four, but Look, game five was three to two, you know, game six, you know, Alvarez had the big home run, but the offense was not clicking on all cylinders. They were not the offense we had really seen from them. This was about the pitching staff stepping up and turning the series around. And you look at the final totals, they struck out the Phillies, a World Series record, 71 times. The Phillies hit 163 in the series. And again, some of that's, you know, on the Phillies to be sure. I mean, you strike out 71 times in six games, you, you need to make some changes they didn't make, but to me, it's more about this is how good this Astro staff is. We talked about going into the series, they're averaging almost 12 strikeouts a game. This is just how good this pitching staff is to take an offense as dangerous as the Phillies and shut them down for three straight games, two of them in their own ballpark, which that didn't happen often this year. I mean, that's how you win a World Series, hold a team to three runs over three games and hold them to a 163 average and punch them out 71 times. That's just a an absolutely dominant performance by the Astros pitching staff. That's what won the series. And the Astros pitching staff stepped up when they needed to down two one, they came back and, and turned the series around. And that's something that we had talked about a little bit um, or a lot throughout the playoffs on this podcast is that we thought the difference between the Astros and other teams were, you know, the depth of, of their pitching staff uh, overall and really their starters, the amount of guys that could provide not just length, um, but quality as well. And, you know, I don't think anybody's built the staff quite like the Astros in that regard. On that note, let's take a quick break here and we'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. 
What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right. Uh, welcome back. We're going to jump into the second half of the podcast here. Uh, Jeff Ponce, Kyle Glazer, recapping the 2022 World Series uh, victory for the Houston Astros. We talked a little bit about the Astros overall as an organization. Why don't we jump into sort of a breakdown of the Astros as well as the Phillies, but we'll start with the champions. All due respect. What's next for the Astros in 2023? Yeah. So, you know, Dusty Baker is coming back. Uh, he agreed to a one-year contract. So he'll be back in 2023. Uh, James Click's status is still up in the air. We need to see exactly what happens there. Um, but in terms of, you know, the on the field product, we've talked about it again. This is a, a really, really, really homegrown team and a really, really young team for the most part, because a lot of these guys have come up really in the last two, three, four years. Now, the big thing is what happens with Justin Verlander. He had a Cy Young caliber year. He probably will win the Cy Young award. And you certainly don't get better when you lose Justin Verlander. But they do have a really, really good deep pitching staff, as we've talked about. You know, you have Framber Valdez and Christian Javier, Luis Garcia, you know, Jose Arquiti, Lance McCullers. They have five good starters coming back. And you have Hunter Brown, who made his debut in the bullpen and, and has a chance to start as well. So there is starting pitching depth here. But seeing what happens with Justin Verlander is going to be key because he's just ridiculously good, even as old as he is now. 
you know, one of the more encouraging developments I thought was Jose Altuve. I mean, he had his best year since his MVP season. You know, there was times where it looked like he might be slowing down a little bit, but he had a really good year. Alex Bregman was better. Remember, he had the wrist injury in 2021. It was pretty rough late. Came back. He wasn't quite, you know, his MVP level self as he'd been in 2019 or so, but he had a good year. And then, I mean, Kyle Tucker and Jordan Alvarez keep getting better and better and better. And they're both, they just have their age 25 seasons. They're going to be their age 26 season next year. I mean, you add in Jeremy Pena, you know, how good he was and the strides he should make, you know, his second year in the league. I mean, this is a team that isn't going away. Outside of, you know, Yuli Gurriel is probably the only guy on this roster who's kind of aged out a little bit. What they do with the catching situation, we'll see. But I mean, this this is a team that should continue to compete. And again, a lot of it goes back to how successful their player development is. I remember, I think it was in 2019, sitting with uh, a pro scouting director from an American League West team in a game. And we were talking. He was like, yeah, you know, you know, we're looking at our window is, you know, 2020, 2021, because the Astros are going to they're going to fade out then. That's what a lot of people thought when you saw, well, they'll lose Cole, they'll probably, you know, eventually lose Granky. Verlander's going to age out. Altuve will hit his 30s. And instead, the Astros are loaded up to keep competing because they've drafted and developed so well. So, yeah, I, you know, it's super, 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 super difficult to repeat as champions. We've seen that. It's you can never predict it to happen, but there's no reason this team shouldn't at least continue competing. We've mentioned six straight ALCSs and I mean, all the pieces are in place for them to keep that streak going and, and continue being the dominant power in the American league for years to come. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think we've talked a ton uh, already on this podcast about, you know, how sustainable their model is um, just in terms of the amount of talent that they have. And it seems like they're consistently producing players that were sort of acquired, we'll say, on the fringes and then turning them into something of value, whether that's to their team or to other teams. There's numerous players, you know, that come to mind. Teoscar Hernandez being one, Ramon Lariano being another. Um, and there's, you know, Miles Straw. There's a whole bunch that are, you know, above average starting caliber players in this league that came through the Astros development system that weren't necessarily first, second, third, fourth, fifth round guys. Um, I think it's also afforded them the opportunity to maybe miss on some first and second round picks in the past, but, you know, still be able to get value out of the draft because when you go to the Astros facility, obviously spent a week there in spring training, um, top-notch, you know, quality facility, as nice as you'll see on the East coast of Florida. Um, everything is, is available. There's technology everywhere. There's a huge coaching staff presence on the ground, working with players, uh, you know, throughout their tunnels, same thing, uh, whether that's pitching tunnels or hitting tunnels, um, you know, fixed track men that had data, you know, uh, in real time uh, as the games were being played on the backfield. Not every organization does all that. And it was all these sort of little details that you could see. And then the amount of staff that they had that were working and doing a lot of stuff that I thought was just a contrast from some of the other camps that I had been. Everybody has their own way of operating. That's certainly not a knock, but I do think it's 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 interesting just from taking a step back to the beginning of season, some of the observation on that side, just how much was controlled really within their environment. Um, and just, like I said, quality facilities, food, et cetera. Um, it just seems like they really didn't spare any expense when it came to player development. And it certainly didn't seem like you know, first round picks, higher picks were treated all that differently from guys that 
might assign as NDFAs or late round picks. And you saw it, you've written about it this week, a guy like Will Wagner, um, you know, has broken out in AFL, uh, 18th round pick out of Liberty. And, you know, they're getting value out of guys like the stills. So I think that's a testament to, you know, whatever they've been able to do over the course of uh, the better part of the last decade and develop this core, but also sort of backfill it at the same time. Yeah. Again, I, I think a lot of people are waiting for the Astros to fade out. I don't anticipate that happening again. You never know, you know injuries, um, no crazy things have happened, but this is a team, you know, both the talent they have on the field and infrastructure wise that is built to continue competing um, the American league West and the American league as a whole. And um, I, I don't expect their window to be closing anytime soon. That's for sure. Let's move on to the other side. Uh, Philadelphia, obviously an organization that's gone out of their way to acquire big star talent. They have a good core. They get on this run after underproducing in the first half of the season. They make the change uh, in the manager's seat with Ron Thompson. Things move forward. So, so where are we going? Is this going to be more of the same, do you think? In 2023, are there areas that they need to improve upon? Or was this sort of a mirage, a magical run that we don't necessarily see being sustained? Yeah, so I think you look at the trend of the Phillies, right? And notice that they are moving in the right direction. Um, this was a team that had never had a winning record since 2011 going into the 2021 season. They finally got that winning record in 2021. Then they added another five wins, their total in 2022. I mean, they're they're moving in the right direction after nearly a decade of kind of being in the wilderness. So you see that the steady improvements and look, there's no question. This is a team that that got hot at the right time. I don't think anyone looked at this team and said, they're the best the nationally has to offer. But, you know, as I talked about from the time Rob Thompson took over, this was a, a team that was playing in a 94 win clip. So I think there's no question. This is a good team with a lot of really, really elite players. That's, that's always going to help. I, I think what's been really encouraging in terms of you know, long-term success is at times the Phillies have been a group that's been top-heavy. They sign a lot of these big stars, but they don't have necessary complementary or support pieces. And then part of that was they were pretty horrendous uh, in drafting and player development for years and years and years and years. I had an article ready to uh, write about it, never got a chance to publish it, but there were a lot of blown first round picks there. And and you look at, you know, the, the Mickey Moniak, Cornelius Randolph, Adam Hazley run, and then back to, you know, the Joe Sabres of the world. It was, it was pretty bad for a while, but we started to see it turn around. I mean, Bryson Stott and Alec Ball in the starting left side, of their infant on the world series team. Those are their back-to-back first round picks in 2018, 2019. You know, he looks at the pitching staff, Ranger Suarez and Sir Anthony Dominguez. They, they took a while, but they're homegrown guys at the, out of the international side. You know, some guys in the bullpen, the, the Connor Brogdon's the world, he's homegrown. I mean, there's you're starting to see more fruit from the Phillies player development system, and that's going to help them continue to be competitive, you know, as guys age out, even though the, guy, the Matt Veerling's the world, you know, just a nice support piece. Um, Nick Maton, same deal. Guy, guys who come up and help, you know, whether it's starters, bullpen guys, bench pieces, you know, I think that is where I look at the Phillies and say, okay, you're seeing a team get a little bit better each year in the big leagues. You're starting to get more support, more players, more talent coming from within your own organization. You look at their farm system now and you have an Andrew Painter and a Mick Abel. And again, pitchers are very, very risky, but even 
saw guys like Griff McGarry and Ben Brown, you know, kind of break out this year. They traded Ben Brown for David Robinson, but like that never used to happen in the Philly system. The Philly system didn't have guys break out, or if they did, it wasn't real. And they had other guys, you know, that the J.P. Crawfords and Scott Kingers, the world where they had talent, and they just didn't develop them properly. It seems like they've stopped. They've stopped that. So it seems like that's all improving. And that's why, for me, I look at this Phillies team and say, I, I I would not be surprised if they're able to continue being competitive in the NL East, you know, moving forward. You know, are they going to get back to the World Series? You know, who knows? Again, this was a great run. The Dodgers are going to be there. The Braves are going to be there. You know, the Cardinals are, are one of the best organizations in baseball. They're probably going to be there. You know, the Mets have a tremendous financial resources, won 100 games this year. They're going to still be there. So I, I'm not going to sit here and say, I feel as good about the Phillies at least getting to, you know, NLCSs at the same clip I do the Astros continuing to get to ALCSs. But there is talent here. I don't think this is a one-year mirage. They're going to come crashing down next year. I think this is a team that has both the top-level talent and now some of the complementary talent to continue being competitive. Yeah, and, you know, they're going to be aggressive to go out there and, you know, acquire the players that they need to whether that's the major league level etc and i think that you you know you made some good points um they've drafted better they're seeing like they're developing better um you know and a drastic improvement like that takes a few years so that starts to really take shape over the next couple of years and you know this 2022 class looks like the 2021 and 2020 classes look like for them you know, I think that that's a step in the right direction just in terms of being able to do what the Astros are doing, the Dodgers and some of these other organizations in terms of backfilling that major league talent as guys age out or whatever. Um, but you have to feel pretty good about it. Um, just, you know, what you saw from your veterans, I think, down the stretch here um, and how they responded to the manager. So I think things are pretty good uh, in Philly land overall. Fortunately, they lost too bad. But, you know, I think if you're a Philly fan, you probably have to walk away from this season wanting more next year but certainly happy with the progress that's been made within the organization and you know the return to sort of winning and competing on a big level that said any sort of final wrap-up thoughts here on the playoffs the 2022 season uh, or the world series kyle yeah i think what was nice to see was we saw in 2021 you know coming off the covid shortened season starting pitchers were just gassed by september we saw it in the postseason i mean it was pretty bad. A lot of starting pitchers were going down left and right. And it made for not a great postseason product, in my opinion, especially once you got to the championship series and into the world series, it was good to see that not be the case this year. Um, you know, we had starters going deep into the postseason. We saw a lot of seven inning starts. We saw guys staying healthy. You know, the Phillies were bullpenning, you know, in game four, but it wasn't like last year where you had both teams bullpenning games. Once you got to, to games three and four of the world series um, games, four and five, I should say. So I think it's it was good to see the starting pitchers, you know, stay healthier, pitch deeper, um, just getting back to a more normal schedule. And then, look, I, I think it's important to appreciate how good this Astros team was. 106 wins, 11-2 in the postseason in a year where a lot of the other top seeds, you know, weren't able to get out of the division series. Um, the Astros were kind of immune to all of it. This is a great team that, that played great start to finish and just a, a, a season worth celebrating in a lot of ways and i think it's important that we acknowledge that while also acknowledging their past transgressions but understand this is a great team that had a great year yeah no absolutely and on that note uh this is the last moment of the 2022 playoff podcast thanks for tuning in throughout the postseason it was a lot of fun to do and uh kyle have a good one 
everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.